Welcome back to Tubs of the Club, Mighty Vandals, your big your University of Idaho affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brian Marceau, joined by fellow co-host, Dallas Hammer. Dallas is, um, look, I have to pull this behind the curtain already, guys. We're, we're both a little confused. Our live viewer count is exceeding one, and that doesn't make sense because this is not a basketball episode. But Dallas, you're in Spokane, man. How's it going? It's it's going all right, Brian. Uh, I know you care so much about uh, my beloved West Ham United football uh, club, and uh, things are starting to turn around. They might not get relegated to the championship, which I'm sure nobody gives a shit about. But hey, I'm doing all right. How are you, Brian? Oh, we're done talking about. Are we done talking about soccer now? We are done talking about soccer. Okay, I can put my phone away. Just want to make sure. So, hey, guys, uh, we're doing great because. This episode, this is, we promised you this for a while. This is a batched football update. We're going to cover some signing stuff, some guys leaving, a little bit, little bit of, you know, just around the big sky, football news. And you know what? Honestly, this show already feels like a weight is off my shoulders because there's there's changes coming through with football. Look, we also get to talk about the VSF gala, which is a big deal. We'll get to it in a minute. But, uh, you know, we might as well just start Dallas. It's around the bar. Brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. And I have to give a small preface here, Dallas, which is Martin is the he is the machine that drives our recruitment coverage. Martin is not only is he motivated to do a good job, and honestly, he puts together like a recruit tracker as good as anyone. I'm talking uh, traditional broadcast media or any anyone else who does any sort of team tracking of recruits. Martin does the best one because he loves this shit. Uh, Dallas and I, uh, I guess I'm speaking for myself, but I think I'm pretty close to where Dallas is. We, we think it's important to learn who the recruits are while keeping expectations tempered about just because a guy signs doesn't mean it's going to be a home run, doesn't mean he's going to be a swing and a miss. My example I'm going to bring up really quick that I think kind of grounds where Dallas and I, and probably a lot of people are, is so Sam Herter sent out a, he sent out a tweet February 2nd covering the, 24-7 sports composite uh, recruitment rankings from 2019 and then compared it to their actual 2022 record. So that's, of course, four seasons. Dallas, you're not looking at it. Who had the number one recruiting class in 2019? And what do you think that translated to? I know this because I, I know the tweet you're referencing. It was top five Portland State with a top one recruiting class and it didn't mean a fucking thing because that program is still dog shit yeah portland state had the number one 24 7 recruitment ranking uh they finished last year four and seven i'm gonna just run through the list real quick and you'll notice the basic trend harvard was number two they're six and four princeton three they finished eight and two stephen f austin number four they finished six and five yale finished eight and two central arkansas five and six idaho seven and five eastern three and eight mercer seven and four Eastern Kentucky seven and five. So the takeaway here is look, it's not bad news to have a, a well-ranked recruiting class, but it doesn't concrete mean that your top rated class is going to be a top rated program because of a lot of things, especially if you're in an area like the Northwest, a lot of guys aren't going to camps where they get the stars and that's where some of the rankings come from. That's been, you know, that's why you don't see South Dakota state in that top 10 and they just won a national championship because they're recruiting guys who don't go to camps to get the stars. But with, as long as we understand that as a backdrop, Dallas, 
I do think it's cool to see who all the new Vandals are. I think it's worth noticing volume or lack of volume of change on the roster. And inevitably, some of these guys are going to be contributors. And for just about every single fan, the more guys you know on the team and know who they are, the easier it is to connect with the team and to be motivated to follow, donate those VSF dollars, actually buy tickets. So that's where I am as far as what the value in updating recruits. With that said, Dallas, going to put you on the shelf or I'll take you off the shelf. What was the first thing you, let's just talk about the, the class as a whole. Cause before we talked about the show, you brought up what I think is a pretty big point. So Brian, as we, as anybody that's, that's paying a whole lot of attention to Idaho football is going to notice there are a shitload of recruits. There are over 40 players. I think the number's up to 45 now that are, that are part of this class. Now there's some, some guys that are upperclassmen, some guys that are transfers, but we're nearing in 40 true freshmen on this roster. And what that signals to me is an, an absolute purge of the Petrino guys. Um, and it's it's unfortunate for the guys that that we've known and covered for for some time. Um, guys like you know, like CJ Jordan, Zach Borsch, guys that we we expected to have great careers here at Idaho, and it just didn't quite pan out the way that I think a lot of people expected. But unless you turn into a superstar like a, a Hogan, excuse me, a Hayden Hatton or a Jermaine Jackson it's pretty apparent that Eck and co are bringing in their guys. Their guys are the guys that are going to play. I mean, again, breaking news, coach recruits guys to play them. Like it, it seems kind of obvious, but it's very obviously happening. If you go look at the roster and just sort it by the class, there are so many freshmen coming in. And again, you, you know, you usually have a couple dozen freshmen, but up to 40 here, Brian, uh, it's it, it this signals the turning point of the of the program to me that Eck and Co. Hey, I don't know if maybe they expected playoffs year one. I know most of us didn't. Now that playoffs have happened, it, it feels like now it's they're taking their stamp, they're putting it on this program. There's a bunch of linemen coming in, and we'll get into all the the specifics of what's actually coming in. But it's pretty apparent to see that there's a purge of the Petrino guys. And it's it's X guys coming in now. Well, and the the split that I'm going to point to Dallas is we have 38 high school signees, seven transfers. Now the the age of transfer certainly varies. There's a freshman from NAU. We'll talk about in a second. But that split of 38 seven that is that's not a, a split of a guy who thinks he completely needs to retool the starters. It's a guy who's trying to, as Colin Hughes says in the comment thread right now, FCS is all about getting them on campus and developing. That, that number 38, yeah, no, no, those are the developmental targets. So that's that's to me what from this far away I'm interpreting is there's probably there's a good amount of returning starters. There's a few places that need to be buttressed. I mean, this isn't a secret. Idaho need to get bigger in the trenches on both sides for sure. And Idaho need to get stronger in parts of the secondary, not the whole thing, but in some parts, uh, physicality was kind of the defining difference between schools like South Dakota state and the field. And look, that's what Idaho saw in virtually every loss Idaho had the place it was outmanned was up front. So if Idaho is going to get to the point of being a team that is trying to go past, just getting into the playoffs, that's, that's a place we have to look and look, I, I want to, I'm going to tie this in a little bit Dallas, but before we start talking about the individual players, I went to the quarter lane signing day event and I didn't get a move around as much as I wanted to, because I had to have my daughter with me. So that meant I was planted, but uh, Andrew Whipple sat down with me. He's one of our, one, one of our listeners, real, real good dude. 
And then Tyler Yelk, safety's coach, she came and sat down and talked to me and Andrew for quite a while. And one of the things that Yelk brought up when you know, I was telling him, hey, this last season was to me the most fun football season I've ever been any sort of part of. And he said he was happy to learn to hear that. You know, they always like to hear that fans are liking what's going on. But from their view now, entering year two, their view is that Idaho hasn't accomplished anything. Last year, the Vandals did not win the league. The Vandals did not win a playoff game. The Vandals did not have a first round bye. So, yes, last season was a success. But that's because of what the background was of heading into last season. This is a new season. It's a new subtext for comparison. And the coaching staff, at least as Tyler Yelk represented when talking to me, and I don't think I'm saying anything inappropriate as a public, um, their view is Idaho has to get better to actually, for this to mean something other than a feel-good story. And that level of turnover, Dallas completely matches that matches that it also matches the idea that look this isn't like bobby petrino something you know where a bunch of guys come in turn around immediately then he bails this is 38 freshmen that's an investment in time and that's honestly seeing that number is it's it's really intriguing to me because look we're you and you and martin already talked about a huge number of the freshmen so we're not gonna hit like every guy during this update but a lot of these guys we're not gonna see early on but there certainly will and then we also have the transfers. When we when I talked to Eck at Media Day last year, he was upfront. He said it's a bit of a trap to recruit the transfer portal for guys who are not going to compete for a starting spot. And I'm going to give a contrasting uh, team here real quick. NAU has 20 transfers from not from not high school signees. 20 transfer portal dudes are coming to NAU. That's very different from Idaho. That's an example of a team that that, that clearly thinks they need new guys to be on the field instantly. You know, that's essentially. 20, 20 guys, that's close to a complete starting lineup on both sides of the field. The number Eck has, no, those are, that looks like just a few plug and play spots, Dallas. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it's, it's kind of refreshing to be in that situation of Idaho's not sitting here dying for transfers. Obviously, there are some transfers and we'll get to them and, and they are coming in at some very important spots. Uh, but Brian, the, the big, the, the big thing I see is, just in, in these recruits, you can see that Eck wants to change what this program is about. Um, if you just go through the, you know, all the, just the the names and stats of all the new, the new faces, the smallest offensive lineman that was recruited by Eck and co was Leighton Vining. He's six foot two, 270 pounds. That is the smallest offensive lineman that was recruited. Those are numbers that, that line up honestly, alongside guys from the Petrino era that were starters that were like the, the cream of the crop on those teams. They were the size of the smallest lineman. It's, it's very obvious that Eck is trying to get some more meat here, which again, like you've already said, it was very obvious. If you watch the FCS playoffs, the teams with the dominant offensive and defensive lines are the teams that make it as far as, as far as Idaho wants to go. And I do want to, sh- to give a quick shout out to Mark Nelke, the sports editor at, Coeur d'Alene Press, he had an article just come out, uh, or, or a column, I guess, The Front Row with Mark Nelke. Uh, I encourage you guys to go check it out. Uh, he did an interview with Eck, and Eck even said the idea here for them is if you look at all of Idaho's FBS history, and not to compare, again, FBS, FCS, but FBS history being the last you know, 20-some years, Idaho would have one good season, they'd make it to a bowl game, and then the next year would fall short, and then the wheels would come off and then it would be another five, six years before things kind of built back up. 
and it, it's trying to find a way to avoid doing that. So, uh, you know, I know Brian, you were concerned about saying what you know it was public, but it was said to you, like X saying it in interviews, like with with people that are smarter than us. Like that last year was cool, great, but now the the point is, how do we build on that? How do we proceed to what we actually want to do, rather than say, hey, great season, see you guys again in ten years when we have one more winning season. With that said, Brian, I want to pivot to something very quick because I, I feel like I've got a I want to cover the, the transfers that are going to be the names that we're going to talk about. Terry and Rainey. Can I pause you one second? Yes, go for it. One thing real quick, just want to bring up. It kind of it just buttresses the, the freshman talk. There was one other thing Tyler Yelk brought up that I think listeners will want to hear about. This just has to do with scholarships. It also has to do with the language. Um, Eck used in talking to Mark, by the way, Tyler echoed the exact same thing talking with me about treating walk-ons and, and scholarship recipients as essentially the same. There, there actually was a like regulatory change that benefits the, the Vandals as far as the number of football scholarships they can give out. The Idaho Promise Scholarship, which is a $3,500 scholarship that can be renewed four times by Idaho residents as comparison, tuition at Idaho is $8,396. Uh, so $3,500 is almost half a half scholarship. It's an academic scholarship. That used to be a number that it didn't count against the actual money into the football team, but a recipient of the Idaho Promise Scholarship from the state of Idaho used to count against athletic scholarships because there was not an academic requirement on the Promise Scholarship. There is an academic requirement now. So Idaho residents can, as walk-ons, can still get just about a 50% scholarship to University of Idaho, and it doesn't touch the total number of scholarships the Vandals can give out. And because FCS schools can give out some partial scholarships, that means a dude on partial scholarship with the Idaho Promise Scholarship is virtually full ride dollar-wise, or a dude who doesn't have any sort of scholarship but has Idaho Promise is still almost at 50%. So it's, it's an additional incentive for some of the Idaho guys who may be interested in Idaho itself to pick the in-state school over somewhere else because the financials of going to Idaho, never mind the inertia, make a ton of sense in a way that now is complementary to the scholarship totals. And again, it's 208 Day Idaho. Uh, Vandal Football posted a tweet about Idaho signed more Idaho kids than any other program, uh, other any other D1 program in the state. So obviously the kind of thing that Eck is going to be lean, leaning on very heavily bringing those Idaho kids up to U of I and, and showing that there is some football talent to be had in this state, which again, not to keep comparing to previous coaches, but there was a, the previous coach here was not, as, not as much in the bringing Idaho guys in unless they were just walking on. Uh, yeah, so very nice to see that 13 Idaho guys. We're about to get to you bringing up Taryn Rainey in a second, 13 Idaho guys signed with the university of Idaho, which backs up what Jason Neck has said since he was here day one, his first press conference, which is, he believes that there's some under-recruited places that a place like University of Idaho can exploit, the state of Idaho being that under, under-recruited place. And no different than the Dakota schools. They certainly are, they're not only Dakota kids, but they pick off a lot of Dakota kids that coastal schools have no idea who they are. The Montana schools pick off a lot of local guys for some positions that other, other schools just aren't aware of because they're not going to camps. X said he was going to do that early, and he has, and... Dallas, you uh, want to talk about transfer Taryn Rainey. Yeah, so again, I, I wanted to cover the four transfers that are coming in. There's 
three transfers I expect to see playing time immediately, and the fourth transfer might be my favorite story. Uh, so the first transfer I wanted to talk about is Terry and Rainey. Terry and Rainey is an offensive lineman from Georgia. He played at Stetson one year uh, at an FCS school, uh, injured his knee, and immediately transferred to NAIA Olivette Nazarene in Illinois. Uh, very similar to the Jason Hallbeck situation from last year. Kind of an under-recruited guy. Big duty, 6'4", 285. Uh, All-conference NAIA kind of guy. Uh, he was a consensus All-American last year. Was the offensive lineman of the year in his conference. Anchored an offensive line that had almost 400 yards a game. Uh, the best offense in that league. Um, very excited to see him come in. I'm assuming it's probably the same kind of plan as Hallbeck. Hallbeck was slotted in as a starter early. Played a couple games. Got hurt. And unfortunately, I think he ended up redshirting, and I, I believe he's back next year. He's on the roster for this year. So I believe Hallbeck will be back. I'm assuming the same kind of thing is, is what they're seeing with Rainey, just a guy that can plug in and play one year as, as some of those younger Eck guys get recruited up and get coached up. Get Again, the as Colin said, the FCS thing is that you've got to get them in, and then you start developing them once they're on campus. As that development goes, I'm expecting we see less of the grad transfer offensive linemen, but I thought it was noteworthy to point out that back-to-back years, there has been an you know, NAIA D3 level lineman transfer in that you'd expect if he's coming here for his final year, he's probably expecting to play. Oh, absolutely. The, and look, first off, depth on the offensive line absolutely is one of the areas we knew to be patient with Idaho. In you know, a coach is here one year. It's pretty pretty dang hard to develop depth at one of the one of the, one of the positions that at a school like Idaho you're going to have to develop guys. And as a reference point, look, Aiden Napick was a solid starter for Idaho, but it's generally speaking not thought of as ideal to have true freshmen starting on the offensive line. That's to me that's the evidence of the, of the depth of yes, we love Napick. He's a good, great contributor. He's going to be here for a while. Fingers crossed, but. Uh, 100% agree with what you're saying on the offensive line. Uh, Signy, I want to jump to is similar to what you brought up, but other side is Jakari Larman, defensive lineman, transfer from Lincoln University in Missouri. Not the uh, the Lincoln University in somewhere in California that doesn't even have an athletic website. As much as I wish we would have gotten some something like that, it'd be as exciting as like you hear a Simon Fraser signy. We don't have one, but uh, it's the same same basic story, but that is not where uh, Larmer went to school. Anyway, he's uh, 6'3", 330 pounds, and that, that's the first thing before we even say anything else. Idaho on the defensive line was – look, they were, they were small relative to, relative to how good Idaho was, as in like a playoff-level team, Dallas, relative to being a good team in the big sky or just for comparison's sake, the Missouri Valley. Idaho was a little bit on the lean side with defensive line and offensive line. And, uh, you know, whether Larman's going to be able to produce is a separate question. You know, he played eight games as a true freshman at Lincoln, then started 11 games as a sophomore. He's going to be, you know, he's a junior, so it's two seasons. Uh, I'm just stoked to tell that we, look, we saw last year uh, when Tuiui Iomo, who just played a, a couple games for Idaho, then transferred out. But it was a pretty big deal for Idaho to at least have a little bit of size and athleticism on the line when he was in there, you know, essentially as a run stopper. You could tell that mattered. And Idaho just didn't have enough of that. Well, hey, here's a potential guy who can step in and play. Like you said, a guy's a junior. This, a transfer junior is not being recruited because we think he's going to be a backup. This is a guy who 
clearly based off how Jason Eck talks is going to be competing for a starting position on the defensive line. And just like the tips I got from people who are familiar with the guy, the, the description is he's, he's a very strong guy. He's the exact type of physicality Idaho missed a little bit last season. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. It's, it's really nice to see a, a giant kid like that is, I'm assuming, going to start right away. The next biggest defensive lineman is Abe Christensen. And Abe Christensen started on the offensive line last year and has been moved to the defense. Abe Christensen, 6'5", 295, that's a huge kid. But he's the biggest kid on the defensive line by a, by a large margin before Larmond came in. And he's a converted offensive lineman, which, again, totally fine. Jesse Davis had a really great NFL career after switching uh, sides of the ball, but really nice to see Brian, like you said, you know, Tuiumi Iono looked looked pretty good in that little bit of time. I I see 6'3", 330 pound guy with two years of eligibility. He's probably going to be starting at nose tackle or a defensive tackle, depending on how they they line guys up. He's going to be starting at one of the tackles next year, I, I would assume, unless somebody comes in and absolutely blows the doors off. You can't teach that kind of size. That is, you're not going to get any of these kids built up to be, again, what I assume is the giant run stopper, which takes us to the other defensive line recruit, Tylen Coleman. He's a redshirt senior from Western New Mexico. So again, you assume he's only going to be here for one year. You assume he's coming in to play and play a lot, kind of like Juliana Falanico did. You just come in to, to be the guy for one good season. Uh, Coleman has 18 and a half sacks in his three years at Western New Mexico. So again, lower level stuff, but he's got production against FCS Abilene Christian. He had five, five tackles and two sacks. So he can do it at this level. Very excited to see he's only six foot two fifty five, So he's definitely more of the edge rushing kind of guy, but very excited to see. I mean, you'd expect Brian, those are three starters or at least impact high amount of playing time guys coming in immediately to, to help reinforce these lines in what is going to be a, a tougher year for Idaho. The schedule doesn't work out as well as it did last year. There's only four home games, which again, it, it gives Idaho a better chance to getting that seven D one wins to getting into the playoffs, but really nice to see some reinforcements coming in immediately when the season is probably going to be a tougher grind than last year's was. Yeah, and just looking at that split, um, I know he's listed as defensive line, uh, but that size, 255, the sack numbers, uh, that sounds like an edge rusher at, at Idaho. And Falunico and Leo Tamba are both guys that Idaho is going to need to replace, which uh, just jumping back to the initial subject, you you talked about the recruits as in, you know, a purge of, you know, guys who weren't playing that much, which is not incorrect, but of course, just, you know, point blank, duh. They're graduated. There's guys who graduate who contributed that Idaho's got to replace as well. Um, one of the recruits I'm a little, the transfers that I'm, it's kind of, it's a head scratcher to me, not in like a negative sense in the, it kind of stands out compared to the other transfers. It's at a position of need, which is defensive back. It's Dwayne McDougal. He's, he's a transfer from Northern Arizona. He's a redshirt freshman. So he uh, didn't, you know, redshirted last year at NAU. NAU certainly did not, light the world on fire uh, but McDougal has a connection with vandals he's a he's a teammate of tagana cc back at mcclemens high school in oakland he was on you know those two won, won a state title together um the observations i got about McDougal um from you know the guys were helpful to show who were pretty connected with recruiting uh we're pretty stoked that idaho picked up McDougal as a guy who to a guy to look at contributing for sure this year thing i um, talked about in the Melky article 
was Idaho played uh, three three safeties quite a bit last season. Or he, maybe Eck brought that up at the signing day event. I only got to listen to a little bit of the signing day event stuff. Um, but we all know from watching, look, there there's some contributors coming back. Marcus Harris, we got turnover Tommy McCormick coming back as well. Uh, but, you know, there's we had a cornerback slot that we the other side of the field, cornerback-wise, certainly needs to get better. And uh, McDougal, fingers crossed, is a guy who can contribute there or as an additional safety. Uh, but the only reason I say it as um, as slight, uh, when I say head scratcher is the observations I got were very positive about McDougal coming over. He just did play at NAU. So I don't know if he would be one of the guys that because he's, he's a freshman in Dallas, we should maybe understand him as being closer to a, you know, analogous to a high school signee instead of analogous to a transfer to, you know, a transfer who's immediately competing for a starter spot, but he's going to be a guy I have my eye on in the spring to see, okay, where, where is he actually lining up? So Dwayne McDougal is actually my favorite of, of the recruits this year. Um, and the reason being, so Brian, as you said, he, he committed to NAU. He only played one game at NAU last year, played against Montana state and had one tackle. McDougal was actually the guy that X specifically called out in the, the little write-up on on the Vandal football ads for transfers for the, for, for the spring. X quote, Dwayne was a young man that we recruited last year out of high school, and we are excited to add him to the roster as someone we can develop. To me, this kid is going to be a hell of a player because what that says is this kid is smart. He went to NAU, realized he fucked up, and immediately got the hell out of there and came to a much better school with much better prospects. So, hell, Ormani Arnold played pretty well in the little bit of playing time he got last year, and Eck even said, hey, maybe we should have been playing him more at corner last year. Maybe he should have been the guy uh, outside of Marcus Harris. I, I am very excited to see McDougal because it's not often that a coach gets a chance to bring a guy back that they had tried to recruit before. So, again, if... if I, if Idaho was trying to get the guy as a high schooler, one red shirt year at NAU, I'm sure he's probably going to have a lot of the same traits that they were looking for before. Very excited to see what he does in the secondary. Um, again, red shirt freshman, he might not be a starter. We do have, like Brian, you said, Marcus Harris is back. The McCormicks are back. Uh, the Bertrams are back. I know that one of them is a defensive lineman, but Matthias is back there in the back. Like Mervin Kenyon played really well as a safety for uh, some stretches of time back there, expecting him probably to play a lot. Like there's, there's a lot of depth there, and you're obviously wanting it to improve. But it's always nice to get a guy to come back that you were trying to get the year before. See the transfer I'm most stoked about, other than Larmond, because I mean, if you look at his picture on Go Vandals, man, Larmond is huge. Uh, I don't. It's not that I thought he'd be small, three thirty, but when you get to plus three hundred pounds, I think sometimes it's hard to conceptualize like how big that truly is. So. You guys probably talked about last episode, uh, Trey Thomas from South Dakota linebacker. He's a he's a graduate transfer. Obviously has familiarity with Rob Orich. Had seventy eight tackles last year for South Dakota. Um, he's a transfer who obviously that uh, Thomas is a profile of the guy who started elsewhere in the FCS. And yes, like South Dakota didn't have a great season record wise, but they also had a very very tough schedule and were competitive against some pretty solid teams. So he's a guy who you know can compete with the best of the FCS as he already did at South Dakota. Uh, Favai Favai graduated. So of course there's going to be some reconfiguring of the, actually Moala is going to be featured differently as a linebacker this season. He switched positions within the linebacking court, which you also have to assume uh, Trey Thomas is, has to be a guy penciled in to potentially start 
um, and the honestly, man, the familiarity with the fact that a guy who played at the school Orch was at, even though Orch wasn't the defensive coordinator, is uh, you know essentially headhunting Orch to play with him. And now that he's a coordinator, that that to me is an it is why I'm pretty stoked about Trey Thomas. Observations we have of him is that he he fits the athletic mold of a guy like Favai Favai, as in he can cover a lot of ground, very good player. He's also known for being a disciplined player, as in sticking to the scheme, which was a an issue at times when, when Idaho had defensive lapses sometimes last year. So, Brian, the, you mentioned linebacker, and now I, I mean, the kid's 6'3", so I, I would assume he's going to play linebacker. Uh, but you you never do truly know until they, they come in. He could end up being a just massively tall safety. But one freshman I did want to call out because we didn't have a chance to talk about him on the last episode or on the recruiting episode just because, unfortunately, we recorded the episode two days before he actually signed. He signed slightly after signing day. Zari Alexander is one of the guys that is expected to be one of the, the gems of this class. Um, the the Thomas Ford Ford Sports Performance connection is one of those things that was a, a very large help here. Zuri Alexander had originally committed to Arizona State uh, back, uh, I think, in twenty two. Actually, uh, you know, committed as a junior, and you know, realistically, guys commit all the time when they're younger, and then uh, senior year hit, hits, and they actually like really do. You know, they open up the recruitment and go through the whole process again. But or the there's a new coach, or exactly, or there's a new coach. Um, he committed to ASU. Obviously, Herm Edwards is gone. Opens up the re- the recruitment. He had an offer from Arizona State, offer from Arizona, offer from Wisconsin. Uh, excuse me, uh, recruit recruited by Wisconsin, but I don't think he actually had an offer. Offer from Hawaii, offer from Eastern. He chose Idaho over two Power Five schools, uh, over two Pac twelve schools. That's that was the one that the 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 people out there that are the recruiting dorks. Uh, I call you dorks as as love. Because I am a giant fucking dork. If, you, if anybody ever runs into me in person, talk to me for about three minutes. I mean, I've, I've worn video game hats here. Like, I'm a dork. Our our beloved recruiting dorks, Martin and Taylor Cash, big shout out there. Those guys freaked out when this guy signed. Don't know if he's going to play as a true freshman, especially when Paul Moala is there. Like you said, Trey Thomas is there. There's a bunch of depth in that linebacking room. But one of the, one of the true freshmen that we didn't get to talk about previously because he signed right after we did the show, but one of the, one of the bigger recruits that's come to Idaho in quite a while. Yeah. As, as we know, like just being a high profile recruit doesn't mean you're going to contribute, but from this far away, if you're looking at freshmen who are going to contribute, you would certainly look to rankings as a potential signifier of names to pay attention to in the spring. When we're, when we're watching the scrimmages or if you're listening, you know, to, to recaps of who are the guys who look like they might be able to contribute. Now, of course, to be, taking part in spring football you have to be on campus so and full disclosure i don't know the status of every freshman being on campus but uh no dude when ziri alexander committed to idaho that was another another one where when we have guys who help us out with understanding recruits so that we have a better idea because we of course don't have time to watch tape on every single recruit other than a highlight and we, we we're open about this on the show everyone looks good on a highlight tape so that doesn't necessarily mean anything Alexander was a guy we were told this is a coup for Idaho to snag Ziri Alexander relative to his athleticism, relative to the prospect he is, and to absolutely, if you're if you're wondering what freshman may be contributing next season, to uh, if you're going to gamble on one high school signee, that's one of, that is probably the one you would look at. 
Uh, Dallas, we've hit most of the transfers now. I do think we need to acknowledge a little bit. We thought we we made a passing reference to you know guys leaving the program, mostly and mostly guys who haven't played. Um, there were kind of two big name guys that there weren't formal announcements, but we know are no longer with the team. Um, Jabore Gibbs, Jason Eck, I mean, confirmed it in the Mark Nelke article that Gibbs. We already know CJ Jordan left. Fingers crossed, lands on his feet at, at a good place where he can play. Um, we know that Jabore Gibbs transferred out and. Um, you know, he's an example of a transfer where there's a lot of excitement about the name coming in. But when guys transfer, there, look, there's always a reason guys are transferring. Sometimes it's because they want more playing time. Sometimes they don't want to. Sometimes it's they're done with their degree. Sometimes they just don't want to work with that coach. Sometimes it's injury. And Jabori Gibbs is an example of how, like, look, if you're on the shelf for two years, that's a very big deal. Sucks for Jabori. Fingers crossed for him. Um, the big contributor, though, that has not been formally announced, but is no longer on Idaho's, Idaho's roster is Eli Cummings running back. He was number two running back for Idaho. Um, he was kind of the, he is realistically the, the biggest contributor that is leaving Idaho, not because of graduation. And I guess wanted to get your thoughts on hearing Eli Cummings, who Cummings took a while to, to hit the field as in like he did play the first couple games. But he was a he was a good change of pace back, solid pass catching running back. Certainly had some electric big moments for the Vandals. Um, so the one two punch of last season, Anthony was Eli Cummings. That was a one one year affair. Was your reaction to hearing that Idaho lost the first contributor? And it's obviously it's always uh, unfortunate to to have a guy move on, especially um, you know, there hasn't been a whole lot of fanfare around uh, around Cummings' departure. So. You never know what's like what's going on or why he left, especially when he he did get a fair amount of playing time. He didn't get so much in the first few games, but once that NAU game hit, he seemed to be uh, the cha- again the change of pace from uh, from Woods. But it's it's unfortunate. But I also, to be brutally honest, I I see that not being a huge impact. I I I, I see the running back rooms as very similar to the in the in the NFL, unless you have a top tier guy. There's usually guys that are five percent different from each other, and they're going to be able to do a lot of the same. A lot of the same production, maybe not the exact things like Captain Fifty Eight mentioning Andre Carter transferring. Like that's that's a bummer. I, I loved watching Andre Carter play. Andre Carter and Eli Cummings were two completely opposite running backs, but I think that the production that they brought to the team can be pretty easily replaced. Unfortunately, and I, I don't mean that to sound callous. It, it just is what it is. It's it's the running back. It's just the guy who's the most athletic freak on the team. And usually you have guys that, that can kind of do a lot of those same things. So especially when we talked in the recruiting episode, um, Day-Day Buchanan looked like he was going to be awesome. Carlos Matheny had really great tape. But again, like you said, Brian, it's tape. Everybody looks good on their highlight tape. Uh, but um, I just I see I see the running backs coming in, and I just it's it's unfortunate. I don't know who's going to step in as Woods' number two guy this year. Um, could you know, maybe we see Nick Romano take that? Maybe it's even like Art Williams, another one of the freshman running backs coming in. Uh, maybe Trent Alstad from uh, Coeur d'Alene. Like, there's a bunch of guys on the team that can probably step in and play those roles. It's it's unfortunate. I wish Eli the best in whatever wherever he ends up. Same with Andre. Same with Jabore. Same with all the guys that are transferred. But for the most part, Brian, a lot of the guys that are transferring. Are transferring out because they weren't getting the playing time here. Not sure what what it is with Eli, but I'm assuming his production will be replaced pretty quick. 
Yeah, running back is one of the positions, it, like a, a basketball hashtag produce analogy, is often like a ball-dominant guard. It, on paper, it sounds like it's tough to replace that production, but there's there's lots of ball-dominant guards who are game to take a good amount of shots. So you can, it's usually not that difficult to get to at least 80% of the production. So my, my two takeaways are, I, I, I just will, this is just a reality of sports at this time. It's easy to get connected to guys who are there longer. So then when a guy who's younger because you're being leaves, you know, there's just kind of the, it's more like the emotional connection of what you lost. Like even talking about, uh, you know, we still have some, some comment threads action going on about Andre Carter. That's because people remember Andre Carter as a, as a beast, as a freshman, as a really promising guy who then had some unfortunate things take place. He got kicked off the team for academic stuff and so missed a year. Well, then there was the COVID year. And then, honestly, by the time he was back on the roster, he was clearly not in the same type of shape. And then Eck takes over. And Anthony Woods, who when we talked recruits last year, we certainly didn't focus on Anthony Woods as being this immediate impact guy because a lot of this is, is a crapshoot. Anthony Woods is was clearly the best running back on the team last season. So there you go. Um I think uh, so. I think we'll be able to replace the dude for sure. The other thing to bring up is if the line depth is better, we don't need someone as good as Cummings to get his production. We just need someone who's comp comparable to Cummings. And I have no reservation whatsoever that that dude's on this. That that dude is not on this roster right now. It's, again, it's just it's one of those things. There's lots of teams have running backs who are solid, but. I also want to point out having Giovanni McCoy back at quarterback, you know, the Jerry Rice award winner who is also very talented with his legs. That also helps because teams have to defend the quarterback running. It just, it makes that makes it easier to play running back when the quarterback gets the ball and there is the threat of running. It's not like, okay, well the only guy who's going to run this is the running back because the quarterback is a statue. It just, I'm not, I'm not concerned about this at this point, Brian. Like, I wish Eli Cummings and Andre Carter the best, but I, I feel like if you're going to lose some guys who, again, not that Andre played a whole lot recently, he had that run against Portland State, uh, which again, shout out to Tom Kendall for reminding everybody that that was awesome. Outside of that, didn't contribute a ton. Eli Cummings looked pretty good, but again, I, I, I just feel like if you're going to lose a guy, Lose the number two running back on your team. That's going to be the one of the most easy to replace. So, I do want to give a quick shout out, Brian. A couple of the guys that transferred out uh, and did land on their feet. I know we, I get questions, uh, people DMing me on Twitter from time to time, asking if I've I've heard where guys are going. Zach Borish got an FCS spot. Uh, he's going to Eastern Tennessee State University. Uh, Devonte Keys ended up getting an FBS office offer. He's at Louisiana Monroe. Can I pause real quick? Go um, for East, it, East Tennessee State University also did. Um, they they kind of covered Zach Borish in their like in their their social media footprint um, mm -hmm. in a pretty big way. So if you're looking for a guy to pay attention to as, as a transfer, just you know for fun, because you know they're guys like Zach Borish are around for a long time. You get emotionally connected, and then you want the guys to do well. Uh, Borish sounds like a guy who, if you're looking for another FCS team to pay attention to, East Tennessee State man. Thank you for jumping in with that, Brian. Kevin Eldridge, uh, offensive lineman, he transferred to Eastern. Uh, Brett Tomasini updated his Twitter bio to say he's playing at Boise State. I didn't see him on their signing day stuff. Maybe he's walking on. Not sure, but his Twitter bio says Boise State linebacker. Uh, the the Noyle brothers transferred to Central Missouri FCS school, so they, they landed on their feet. Caleb Menzel ended up going down to D2. It was an offensive lineman last year, going down to D2 Central Washington, so he's at least still around. 
Uh, Tyler Webb was a gray shirt QB. He landed at Kilgore College, a junior college, which, hey, if you're looking to spark some spark a year of tape and find yourself a starting job in the FCS or FBS, going down to a JUCO and kicking ass for a year, not a bad idea. Uh, haven't heard any solid things yet from CJ Jordan or guys like Andre Carter, again, like we've mentioned, Cummings, Gibbs, uh, Tuiumi, I don't know. Some of those other guys, Jabari Farms was a linebacker here for a while. Some of those guys we haven't heard yet. When we do, we'll we'll update you guys. But a lot of these guys have, hey, you still got to graduate. Some of these, some of the kids like Zach Borsch already had a degree. He could move on very quickly. Guys like, again, like CJ Jordan, you got to get the degree first before you can, can transfer. I mean, you can transfer without it, but if you graduate, it just makes the process easier. So, you do have some of the guys that are going to probably not hear things for from a couple months. Maybe they'll trickle in the next couple weeks or months, but uh, it is nice to see it. At least a good portion of the guys have landed on their feet and found other programs to play. Which reminds me, Dallas, we've been in around the bar and you know who that's brought to us by. Do you want me to do the voice, Brian? Sure. If you are looking for an all, a great, all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal-owned and operated since 1976, and they're ready to take you on the vacation of a lifetime. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the middle fork of the Salmon, the main Salmon River of no return, the Salmon River Canyons, or the Selway. You can even check out special trips like one to see the Persed Meteor Shower, camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, and fish some of the remote, most remote stretches of river in the entire country. Just bring your clothes and let Colin Hughes handle the rest. That's HRE, Hughes River Expeditions. Grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the Gem State. Call them now, 800-262-1882, or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Got to stress you with Hughes River. You can do it as a large group like a corporation or team building. You can do it as an individual family. Just call them. It's all inclusive. Just show up. Everything else taken care of. So two things, two other quick items to get to, guys, because this is a batch football update. We all return to the hellhole that is basketball season afterward. Um, VSF Gala, was the so Vandal Scholarship Fund Gala, for those who are uninitiated, was uh, held on Saturday, this, this most recent Saturday. It's, uh, today is Wednesday, February 8th. You guys can uh, count the days backward if you want to. Big news. And look, I got to give a thanks to former Tubbs uh, host, Chris Hammond. He helped me out with some of the details on how the gala event went itself. Um, Idaho broke its, it th thrashed its fundraising record at the gala. And that's the big event in Boise. And look, my, the reference point I got to give, I got to give here an average VSF gala year is usually about 270 my bad the previous record for a vsf gal which is the biggest fundraising individual event of the of the you know off season was 278,000 this year and look this is i'm going to say this is buttressed off two things football 80% the other 20% being good outreach by you know guys like Jared Walcott and other members of the athletic department because of those two things the inertia around Vandal Athletics is in a completely different direction when we're not talking basketball. And this year in Boise, one day, 424,000 raised alone. So absolutely near didn't double the old record, but we're about 150,000-ish more than the old record. That's a huge deal. And if you're curious what that means in concrete terms, 
uh, raising four, $424,000. It funds 21 scholarships completely out of the 185 total scholarships the entire athletic department funds. Uh, but it also, in addition to when I say completely funds, we're talking about the athletic scholarship. We're talking about room and board. We're talking about books for all the athletes. So the ultimate goal, Jesus Christ, Dallas, the ultimate goal of any, any, any entity like the Vandal Scholarship Fund is to fully fund scholarships privately so institutional money can go elsewhere. And all, virtually no schools do that. For Idaho to do that, we'd have to raise about $8.3 million. But almost half a million dollars raised in one day, that's only happening because, because of football and outreach, man. Um, so I don't have much else to add other than that. It's a, it's great. It's great for Idaho that there's this type of energy coming back. It, the next VSF gala is going to have to be in a bigger room because it was too small this time, which is great news because it wouldn't have, hasn't mattered because of Paul Petrino and Zach Kloss sucking the life out of interest in Vandal football and Vandal athletics from anyone but the diehards. But when, when things turn around, people come while it's open. Um, if you're a person who's on the fence about contributing, man, do it. It helps out. And if you look, if you really just don't want to contribute because of Zach Kloss, I would never argue that. I just say, hey, you can contribute program specific and give your dollars not to the basketball team. Couldn't have said it better myself, Brian. That sounded like a very, very much saying like you, I think we're saying maybe a F. ZC was that kind of what the vibe was getting out there? Uh, that. That's that's very harsh, Brian. He's about to win his tenth game, which would be a season high for him, or a career high, season high. Oh man, words are hard. I, it's late, guys. Oh boy, what I'm trying to get at is that Klaus has never won ten games in a season. That's what that's the point I'm trying to make. I'm devastated because we had a special clip that it does not exist anymore that I was about to go to. Um, yeah, sorry. Just stay stay talking about football that. Just brought that up connected to football because it's fundraising season. It, the other news we have, like it's not concrete, is that season ticket sales are looking more promising heading into this season. And there was an obvious increase last season. So the energy from last season, it's not dissipating, even though we have, again, the hellhole desert nightmare scape that is basketball taking place right now. Football is a separate topic. And honestly, dude, just the show right now, just talking football, it feels so much lighter so much more effortless being able to talk about something that's fun. Um, I can tell you I'm having a shitload more fun than our basketball episodes. I think our, our listeners too, because did you, I mean, exponential explosion in, in listeners live to this. Well, and you, look, you can come clean. You didn't watch the last two basketball games. Oh, fuck. No, I didn't. I have other shit to do. I like my life and most of the time, and I don't want to ruin my, my life while having to watch. Let's that not. Re- okay. We won't ruin the rest of this. We have an, a little bit of big sky stuff to talk about. Uh, before we get there, second sponsor, one of our two favorite sponsors right now, Nick Davis does kick-ass metal work. This is King Spud Tubbs original. 85 bucks if you go through Tubbs at Club or Nick Davis on Twitter. Dallas is grabbing his L.A. Rams. And, okay, that's actually worth bringing up. Um, Nick doesn't just do Idaho stuff. He does kick-ass Idaho stuff, but he will do other stuff. I bought my little brother a Washington State sign from Nick because my little brother's a WSU fan. It kicks ass. Uh, Dallas's wife, Izzy, or Izzy's husband, Dallas, received the uh, LA Rams logo. You guys can see the color. And I got to bring this up, man, because there's other places that sell metalwork, like at Costco. I'm sure some of you guys in the Northwest have seen it. Nick Davis's stuff is better. Get a hold of Nick Davis or go through Tubbs the Club. We'll connect you. So uh, last kind of football things. There's a little bit of just small big sky, big sky news to go over. 
Dallas, I, I want to pitch this question to you. Two biggest stories we haven't really talked about in Big Sky football right now are, one, Weber State promoted offensive coordinator Mickey Mental. He'd been at Weber State for one year. He'd previously been a head coach, but promoted Mickey Mental after one season to replace Jay Hill. The other story being former five-star quarterback from University of Washington, Sam Heward, signed to play at Cal Poly under Paul Wolf. And I bring this up, both of these together, not as individual stories, because I'm from the outside perspective now, talking rest of Big Sky, what is more intriguing to you? Talking about Weber promoting from within, but the guy's just there for a year? Or one of the biggest recruits in the history of the Big Sky transferring in? To me, it's Mickey Mental. That is absolutely more intriguing to me. It's not very often that you see a Big Sky head coach be a guy who coached at Notre Dame for 13 fucking years. Sure, it was Notre Dame College, which is a D2 school, completely different thing. But still, I if I'm Mickey Mental, I'm putting that on my resume that I was the head coach at Notre Dame. Sure, it was Notre Dame College in Ohio, but hey, technically, he was the head coach of Notre Dame. Uh, no, on the serious note, though, Brian, Weber State had a, a hell of a run. Uh, I believe it was four straight championships or shares of the championship in football uh, when Jay Hill was at his absolute peak. And then Mickey Mental came in last year, and man, I, they had some some moments where things just didn't look quite perfect for them. But when you look back on their record last year, they went 10-3. and three. They only had three games that they didn't score more than 30 points, and that's Weber State when, I mean, Jay Hill liked to win games 6-3 to three if he absolutely could. Last year, they had three games that they did not score more than 30 points. That was in the playoffs – at Montana State, they only they lost that game thirty three to twenty five. In Montana, or excuse me, uh, in Ogden against Montana, they won twenty four to twenty one. And then down at UC Davis, they won seventeen to twelve. Other than that, every other game they played, they scored thirty more, thirty or more. Their coaching staff is mostly intact. I, I know that Jay Hill was a big component of of their success, but I mean the the guys still coaching defense there. Are the co-defensive coordinators are still there. Like they're still, they're still going to be good. And honestly, as Patty mentions, if Weber can get a long snapper and get their offense going, they could be dangerous. Can they do that? I don't know. I would hope to God that they don't have a snapper snap a, over the punter's head four times in another game. That I think that honestly changed their season. They should have pummeled Montana State, and they didn't because of that. And it sucks to pin it on one kid, but like that was. Those were a whole lot of points that were just handed to Montana State. It's too bad. However, Brian, I, I think that that is the biggest thing. I, I we've had we've had enough guys transfer into to big sky schools and do really well, and then do not particularly well. Sam Heward could be the next great thing. Sam Heward could also be here for one year, look okay, and then move on to a power like a a low power five school or a mid tier to top tier G five school, and it'll be a, oh he had one year at Cal Poly, big whoop. I'm not as concerned about it. I want to hear your spin zone on it. For me, it's can Mickey Mantle restore Weber State to what they were before when they were winning games 6-3 and won all those titles? Can he do it with his magic of trying to score 40 a game? So the mental hire intrigues me because Jay Hill, you're right. Like it's hard to know exactly how, what type of offense in terms of like aggression, let's say. Um, Mickey Mental is actually going to run because you know there's some influence from Jay Hill. Um, reasonably, I think you could probably expect Weber will take at least a 
maybe step backwards defensively. And if they're going to be good, they have to make that up offensively. So that part's intriguing. But I'm, I'm going to talk about Sam Heward. Now, first off, I can't believe Dallas. You obviously didn't look at Sam Heward's stats. In Big Sky play last season, Sam Heward, 100% accuracy. And it was against the top five team, Portland State, two for two for 24 yards. So, look, Sam Heward's college stats at University of Washington are not exactly lighting the world on fire. Uh, 24 of 44 for one touchdown and four picks. So, okay, look, a guy doesn't transfer down from University of Washington to the big sky because he's doing well at the first school. So we know that asterisk. Second asterisk, we also know, it, look, if you've been following us through the whole, through all of Idaho's last season, or maybe if you're new, you don't know this, drop downs are always sexy. But most of them don't work because they're dropping down because they're not that good. Some of them do work. Paul Moala for Idaho from Notre Dame came from Notre Dame because of injury. Kicked ass. Giuliano Falonico. Don't know why in God's name he ended up in Idaho, but I'm happy we had him. Falonico was good. There's certainly examples where they work out, but there's a lot of examples where they don't. Look, Dallas, when you and I talked about this yesterday, you said, well, hey, Brian Reeder transferred from Arkansas to Idaho, and he was certainly not a good quarterback at Idaho. So, like, hey, point taken. And as far as a five-star, well, we saw a five-star transfer to Northern Colorado. His name was Dylan McCaffrey. He was terrible. So just because of stars doesn't mean a dude's good. Also, look, we have it going on in the comments section. What is the relation of Sam to Brock Heward? Brock Heward is Sam Heward's uncle. So, like, look, there's another name that might help add some of the stars in some way. Brian, I also have to point out, the the blasphemy here. Damon Heward was an NFL quarterback. His father was an NFL quarterback. So he wasn't as famous as Brock, but his dad was also an NFL quarterback. His dad was better than Brock, but regionally the name Brock Heward, because he's also a media figure in Spokane, is what people would connect with. And because like Damon went to BYU, right? Our crack stat team will look that up. But look, Brock Heward played at University of Washington. So that's part of why regionally people are more familiar with that name. So there's reason to be skeptical about five-star sexy name, not very good at Power 5 school, transferring to Cal Poly. One, I got to keep in mind, it's interesting to me because I don't even know Sam Heward's going to start at Cal Poly. Jaden Jones was a good freshman quarterback for Cal Poly before he blew out his knee. And when Jaden Jones went out, the uh, magic that magic with you know, scare quotes around it, Cal Poly offensively looked pretty solid at times last season. Uh, the problem is Spencer Brash threw 17,000 picks and they have the worst defense in the history of FCS football. So the quarterback's not going to fix that. But one, I don't even know if Sam Heard's going to start at Cal Poly. I certainly do. We don't have the nepotism angle thing to push him ahead because of who the coaching staff is. So you'd assume if Sam Heard's going to start is because he's better than Jane, than Jane Jones. But hey, he's got to prove that first. But second, it is going to be a shiny object to pay attention to at the start of the season of Cal Poly has this new thing going on with a, they have Paul Wolf's taking over for Bo Baldwin. It's a, that's a relatively seamless transition, very likely because Paul Wolf's former head coach who Bo Baldwin replaced at Eastern. Will that be enough to jumpstart the offense a little bit more, even though Cal Poly had the best passing offense last year, but if they can do the same thing, and not have the quarterback throws in those picks, that's a pretty big deal. But looks one of the lower teams likely is going to, be surprisingly good in the big sky this coming season. That always happens. That was Idaho last year. So of the lower teams that you'd be looking at to say, hey, is there a reason they might take a step or a half step up? Well, Cal Poly had some defensive injuries that can help explain why they were embarrassingly bad 
on the defensive side. So if they're marginally better defensively and can improve turnovers, well, that's a reason to say, hey, maybe Cal Poly becomes a team who they're not going to make the playoffs, but they can they can win a couple games that you're surprised about, and they can push themselves into you're talking about uh, can Cal Poly have enough good things happen to maybe look at the outside of the playoffs. I, I don't, I wouldn't gamble that now, but I now have a reason to pay attention to Cal Poly that heading into this season, I wouldn't ask. So that's, that's why I am a, would say I go with the Sam Heward angle, but I wouldn't, I would never argue against someone saying, Hey, a uh, drop down's got to prove it. There's a lot of drop downs who don't play. I mean, again, as, as far as drop downs go, you go uh, former, you know, Dad and uncle were NFL guys. I know Brock played for the Seahawks, and that's probably why he's the bigger name here. Because again, like you said, he's he's a media personality in Seattle. Damon was actually the more successful NFL quarterback. He was undrafted, but he had a longer career, won a couple Super Bowls as a backup, had a better career than Brock did. Brock flamed out pretty quickly. I think he was only there for five years or so. So you'd think a guy with a bunch of NFL bloodlines, probably most likely he's going to succeed at Cal Poly. However, I mean. Again, like like you were saying, you see guys drop down and, and not succeed. So I think the Mickey Mental storyline is probably the one that's more likely to just to be something that like matters, because I think there there is there's more of a chance that he just doesn't play. He like you said, Jaden Jones was was good last year when he was healthy. Uh, Cal Poly was a dumpster fire. Paul Wolf stepping in for Bo Baldwin. You know they kept most of the same staff continuity. They might they might take the leap, but. He would, might not even be the guy. It absolutely could be wrong. We could be nine months from now talking about, holy shit, Cal Poly made the playoffs and Heward is now being talked about as a draft prospect and he's absolutely leaving to go to like Oklahoma next year. That absolutely could happen. It could also happen that he just doesn't even win the job, doesn't see the, the field and he becomes a five-star guy that never never made much of an impact in college football. The thing I'll add is, look, Justin Bertram's comment section saying, OC Sheldon Cross bring the air raid is an instant O boost. He's talking about two Cal Poly. Look, we'll know more inside baseball stuff like that. But thank you, Justin, for giving us some of that inside baseball. So the best thing with Cal Poly is there's a re I think if Cal Poly is going to be good offensively, like lots of the big sky is getting like beefier overall. I think Cal Poly has to do a version of zagging to the rest of conferences zigging. And I think if Cal Poly is going to be good, it's because they're going to be able to beat teams through the air in a way that other people can't. And new OC with a potential, a guy who on paper, you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say on paper right now, he's the best quarterback in the big sky because he hasn't played a big sky snap. You have to see him, but on paper, you would say he's the guy who people projected to have the most talent of any quarterback in the big sky. So you, you can, again, you can see how things could line up for how Cal Poly might look respectable next year. Defense has to has to be much better. Uh, in the comment section, Captain58, uh, I got to find out, said he thinks Northern Colorado could surprise with Atlanta taking over seriously. Bottom of the conference could come way up this year. I expect closer margin of victory in 23. Look, I'm with you. We're going to – we'll do our big sky preview when we're much closer to the actual season, Captain. I think Atlanta at Northern Colorado is a big deal. Uh, but I also think this is not a nothing at Cal Poly to get a five-star recruit. It's definitely not. It's definitely not. I was just going to say, uh, Tom Kendall jumping in with, honestly, the seven words that are all you need to know about Ed Lamb. Ed Lamb, huge improvement over McCaffrey family. That You hit the nail on the head, Tom. That They went from a, a, a complete incompetent idiot to a guy who has proven, I mean, he, he won a conference title with Southern Utah here, like, 
no no code's gonna get better. But again, Brian, we're we're gonna we're gonna cover all that when we actually get to football. It's just nice to be talking football because nobody wants to think about vegetables right now. Steak time right now. Exactly. So look, we're about to jump off. I'm gonna give the Marceau minute of basketball update. And because this is truly a not this is a this is a football episode, guys. Uh, I did not write a single thing out uh, about the basketball team. I actually have the wrong team up right now. So look, the men's team went 1-1 last week, lost to – I mean, you knew the top five loss was going to come, losing 69-66 at Portland State. Uh, and then beat, the, then on Saturday beat Sacramento State 82-76 to in overtime. Uh, Idaho had to shoot 63.5% to pick up that win. So uh, not going to say – I'm not going to call that right track exactly, but hey, when Idaho did pick up a win, so good news. The women's team, which Martin Martin's the one who spends much more time covering, women's team has looks like they've mostly righted their ship. Last week they went one and one. They beat Portland State 77-70, and then lost to number one the league Sacramento State at Sacramento 77-70. So weird mirror scoring there, but uh, women's team has look after that losing streak there. Three and one with wins over Weber State, Idaho State, Portland State, then then lost Sac State. That's your basketball update. We're done talking basketball. Um, we of course have our next basketball episode coming up at some point, Dallas. Um, I'm not ready to talk about that scheduling yet, but uh, we're gonna have more football stuff eventually, guys. This is just the best way I know to do football updates in the summer or in the winter. Good God, in the winter, uh, because you know there's only so much to talk about. I'd rather just say, hey, let's have a vacation from the produce section uh talk all football like we did today um yeah man i it's just talking about football is so much nicer dude it's just so much just so much nicer to i can't wait, wait for football season dude brian you don't want to think about how zach Kloss is going to try to get the again career defining 10th win of the season against the undefeated eastern eagles you don't want to think about that you want to think about football and how much fun we had last year at least until Idaho basketball has more D1 wins than the football team, which doesn't, if that's not, has not happened yet. The, they're mm-hmm. both sitting at seven right now. So uh, yeah. Anyway, football is great, man. The energy when I went to my event, everyone's stoked because they should be. That's the other thing, man. People are stoked about football. It's not bullshit. They're stoked because we have faith in the coaching staff who are all returning. Every single coach is, is back. Huge deal for Idaho. We've got we lost virtually very few contributors to the transfer portal. And also if, relative to losing people look like running back wide receiver is probably the least scary place to lose. Like, you know, if Idaho is losing, like if Marcus Harris transferred, I'd, I'd be pretty anxious If Paul Mawala transferred. I, I, that's one. I'd be like, oh shit, man, that's a hit. We, we lost a running back teams replaced running backs. Also lots of running backs will have a good season, get injured and then someone else plays. So the energy around football is good because it should be. Fundraising numbers are doing well. Honestly, man, just as long as you you can, as long as we're not talking basketball, there's a lot of good stuff going on in Vandal Athletics. So buy your season tickets, dude. Yes, four games sucks. I don't care. I'm gonna buy my buy, I'm gonna buy my four season tickets and enjoy it. I cannot wait to the next home game, but I'm gonna have to, not until late September. I've got nothing nothing else, Dallas. Well, with that, guys, thanks for joining. We'll uh see you soon. And as well, we probably won't see this many live listeners soon because we'll talk basketball next, but no, no, God, so thank you. Thank you to those, yeah. to those who still remember that Idaho sports can be fun from time to time yeah. as evidenced by the massive uptick in viewership of this episode. Thank you. Thank you for being along for the ride.
Go Vandals. Go, go Vandals. Go Vandals.